0: Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com, which we encourage you to do. It takes money and time to produce this show, and we genuinely appreciate everybody that contributes. If you do subscribe, you get access to our weekly extras, and next month we plan to send a lovely Christmas gift to everyone who subscribed. Hint, if you like stickers, you'll really like the gift. Hint, if you don't like stickers, you will not like the gift. The gift is stickers. Of course, we also acknowledge the generosity of our corporate sponsors, like the publishers of the new book, Ijo Kisho
1: Seasons Greetings. Being an uncultured foreign visitor who begins most of their correspondence with, you up? You're probably enamored with the positively literary culture of Japanese letter writing, particularly the lovely seasonal greetings that begin our poetic exchanges, like, Aki no koe ga kikoeru utsukushi kizetsu ga toorai shimashita the beautiful hearing the voice of autumn season has come. <laughs> nice, right? But as weather conditions around the world have changed, so too must our handwritten letters. That's why we published this brand new collection of Ijo Kisho seasonal greetings, opening remarks for the end of the world. Learn phrases like, the autumn gusts may be strong, but they carry you my thoughts and also my roof. It's winter. That time of year when we remember what snow was. Spring, spring has come. Oh wait, no, it's over. It's summer in Japan and you know what that means. My city is underwater. Can I live with you? I'll bring some mint chocolate ice cream. All these phrases and many more. So pick up your copy of Ijo Kisho Season's Greetings today and learn the art of using traditional Japanese seasonal hallmarks to subtly ask your loved ones what you really want to know. It was blistering hot yesterday, and now it's three degrees outside. How are you? Continuing to ignore this. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Rochelle Kopp, the founder of Japan Intercultural Consulting, author of tons of books, and person who enjoyed the epic Tokyo to Fukuoka River Cruise journey so much that she's currently making plans to take the journey back. Rochelle, thanks for joining us.
2: Glad to be here.
1: On this week's show. Rent is dropping in Japan cities, companies are still struggling with remote work, and businesses are turning to radical ideas like parking and renting out Ferris wheel carriages. Could this pandemic get any crazier? Is a question we'll look back on wistfully this time next year when we're using PCR tests to see which of the elderly are safe to eat. Plus, Ollie's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali?
0: Yes, this week's recommendation is the Hozogawa River Cruise. This was once a source of transportation to Osaka and also to Kyoto when it used to be known as the Tamba. All of the boats are traditionally propelled by only the strength of the boatsmen, that in some cases are well into their 60s. Passengers can choose whether they take the downstream course, which takes an hour, or the upstream course, which takes the piss.
1: Plus, a new riverboat finds itself in hot water. Literally. The new Sakurajima area cruise that takes passengers on a two-hour loop through a series of connected 90-degree sulfurous hot springs has become a surprise success with their innovative business model of letting people on for free and charging them to be let off. But first, Soap Talk. Rochelle, as somebody who follows coronavirus pandemic news very, very closely, I'm sure you've noticed a trend of people moving away from big cities because they see them as dangerous and moving out to local areas where they can do more remote work. How do you, Rochelle, feel personally about the trend of moving away from places like Tokyo to places like Fukuoka, Rochelle, who currently resides in Fukuoka? How do you feel about that?
2: Loaded question, as I'm um, considering moving the other direction. Why are you leaving
0: um, us? I can't uh, believe it's been like two years since your first day in Fukuoka, where I showed you my favorite Indian restaurant, introduced you to a, an estate agent, showed you the park.
2: Yes, What's yes. What's with the park? I know. I love the park. I love Fukuoka. Fukuoka is wonderful, actually. So I'm feeling bummed about leaving Fukuoka. Um, But the thing is, I came down here to help out with starting the global business program at University of Kinnikushu. And um, that's been really interesting. But I've decided that that doesn't seem like something that I um, need to be making further contributions to, that I've kind of made my good contribution. Um, But my other things that I do, my consulting work and my board positions... I'm sorry, what? I can't hear what you're muttering there, Bobby.
1: I said, yes, the global business program is clearly in good shape right now.
0: <laughs> all of these all of these pre-pandemic strategies uh, are, now, are now firmly in the curriculum. I can now dust my hands and, and stride away with pride.
2: <laughs> so anyways, my consulting work and my board work um, are you know, mainly all up in Tokyo. And before the pandemic... I found running up to Tokyo, I was having to go as much as once a week. And it it got kind of tiring, even though the access from Fukuoka is very good. It's still minimum five hours one way, um, door to door. And it just was a little bit too much running back and forth.
0: Bobby, you do that trip quite a lot, don't you?
1: I I used to do it quite a lot. I used to do it maybe two, three times a month. Um, Since the the pandemic kicked off, I stopped going to Tokyo quite as often. But I've been back a handful of times in the last couple of months. I'm actually in Hiroshima now for the... uh, Cycle around Japan, uh, show. We're doing like a week in Hiroshima. Is it nice there? Yeah, we're we're not in Hiroshima City. We're out in an area called Miyoshi. So like we spent a day riding through the mountains. Um, a different side of Hiroshima than I've seen before. Really, really nice. That's that is the kind of
0: work which you can't do remotely, isn't it? You couldn't just zoom that one in.
1: I guess they I guess you could On a like, Peloton. Yeah. <laughs> you could set up a Peloton <laughs> and just have have an iPad that showed me where somebody else's bike was going but you'd still need somebody to ride the bike and tell the awful awful oyaji gag jokes
0: well i'll tell you what i am finding funny uh all of a sudden online gigs are back again so do you remember months ago like when the pandemic started we were talking about
1: like hammer without a nail yeah yeah yeah
0: Yeah, all the comedians were like right i'm going online going online and then eventually audiences stop being interested in it because why would you watch some dodgy zoom monologue when you could like watch a polished Netflix special, or you could watch my Pig in Japan special, which is released in a few weeks. More on that story uh, soon on this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, But now, uh, all these remote companies are struggling to keep morale over Christmas, and so there's been, I'd say in the last month, I've noticed a dozen companies spring up which are offering remote comedy shows. Oh, wow. And so now, and, and it's so funny that sometimes in business, you just need some kind of interface, right? No company is going to reach out to a comic on Instagram and say, hey, can I book you? Because we're just seen as like rogue pirates. But once like someone with a nice polished website uh, and, you know, can send nice invoices, uh, you know, charges a $1,000 and no doubt makes huge margin on whatever they're paying us. Uh, all of a sudden, it's like big booming business again. Right. So all of a sudden, I know loads of comics now whose diaries are now kind of more full <laughs> than they would have been <laughs> Uh, without a pandemic, because of course, what I found is like you could do. I, I've got one day where I've got seven shows scheduled, and I could just sit in the same place and dial in all all, all around the world. Oh wow! So isn't it isn't it isn't it funny how you know the, these things? You know these things might have happened eventually, uh but you know, but the pandemic really has has kind of sped things up. I wonder whether this is going to stay
1: next year. Well, it sounds like the comedy world has been adapting to remote situations well. Rochelle, how's the business world doing?
2: um it's mixed (laughs) i'd say that a lot of people here in japan in the business world are still trying to figure out how to make this work and i think a lot of companies were hoping that they would all be back in the office at this point and that's you know doesn't really make sense especially with the numbers getting worse recently right so there's been um, a lot of a lot of stress about this i think
1: what do you think are the unique challenges that japanese companies are struggling with as they try to in- fully like integrate remote work
2: well i think one of the really big things is, is that managers are not used to managing people who they can't physically see working mm. And so they're very, you know, they're very uncomfortable wondering, well, what are people actually doing? And is stuff getting done? And where are we on our goals? And are we on track? and, and...
0: So, so is, is your job breaking to them softly? They're doing fuck all. There's nothing you can do about it. They were doing fuck all anyway. It's just you couldn't tell.
2: Um, No, that's not what I say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, talk, I talk. a lot about. Measuring. Looks like
0: I'm not getting a job at Japan culture anytime soon.
2: Well, well, maybe not for this topic, anyways. But um, we do a lot of talking about measuring output rather than observed inputs. Mm. Being able to evaluate people better, having clear job descriptions, having clear goals, um, having software-based solutions that help you track what's happening. I'm um, having frequent check-in conversations, doing one-on-ones. So there's lots of different things that you can do.
0: Yeah. I have a question for Bobby, which I haven't actually asked him in real life yet, which is, what the hell were you doing on my BBC, please?
1: I was on the BBC radio. Did you see that? I think in terms uh, yeah, of I our did. relationship, that means that I'm winning. I'm winning. Uh, yeah. I actually think you are. How did that happen? You've, you've got to be on Sesame Street or something now. <laughs> uh, no, I just saw uh, Jess Johnson on Twitter said they were looking for people to interview who lived in Japan about their experiences with Corona. And I said, Hey, get them to send me a mail. And I ended up on it. They interviewed me and two other, uh, people in Japan, two Japanese women who spoke very good English, both in Tokyo. Um, but I don't know if you guys have ever come across this. This is, this is a thing that might be a little controversial to say, do you know how there's like a subset of Japanese people who speak English? who are crazy
0: yes yes
1: I, like I, i'm aware i can see rochelle wincing i'm aware that that sounds like like prejudicial or discriminatory no no way. not at
0: all because like no i think it's easily explained there are crazy people all over the world and some of those will learn a language and i would say a tendency uh which helps you learn a language which is being obsessive um can also like backfire
1: yeah well there's that, and there's also, like, remove the ethnicity, remove the language aspect of it. Like, I know everyone's had this experience where you're talking to someone, and within the first minute of talking to them, in your mind, you go, oh, you're one of those.
0: Yeah, I think most of our guests have that when they <laughs> <laughs> when they hear the word soap talk, like, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's a subset of Japanese people who speak English that when you start talking to them, like, they want so badly to identify with with a foreign language because it sets them apart from Japanese people in a way that that is like unhealthy. Elitist? Yeah, elitist. Snobbish? And snobbish and unhealthy. And I think this was exemplified to me because they both had like their very specific points of view that they wanted to talk about in the interview. And no matter what the interview asked them, they brought it back to their specific thing that they were there to say. And one of them, it was all about her opinions on the coronavirus and the epidemic, was all informed by her motherhood.
0: Just to make it even funnier, you just said your piece, and then she responded by going, well, I have a slightly different perspective as a parent.
1: Yes. Ignoring the fact yes. that you have kids. No, what she what she said was, well, I think my perspective is a little bit different from everyone else's because I'm a mother. And it was like, yep, that is definitely something that no one else can claim. <laughs> <laughs> And it was interesting kind of like being in Japan and kind of being so used to talking to Japanese people, you can pick that out really quickly. Like this person is off somehow. But watching the BBC host work that out in real time was really funny. <laughs> but did they get what they wanted? I think ultimately th- they did a great job editing. Like, um, I, like I talked to my mom about it and then sent her the link and she was like, yeah, you know, I like after listening to the actual show, I couldn't tell that anyone was crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's nice. It's a win for you as well, I suppose. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right, just before we move
0: on to the news, we got some thank yous to give. Thank you to Olof Hellman, who bought us three coffees, saying, each show is a guaranteed laugh. Uh, that is not a guarantee we make.
1: That's his guarantee. You can't hold us That's to that no That's his guarantee.
0: guarantee. And uh, Tucci. Tucci is now a member she has access to the extras and presumably will get some stickers too.
1: Hope she likes stickers. She's joined that very exclusive club of people who were guests and enjoyed their experience so much that they joined and became a subscriber. Rochelle, remind me, how many times have you been on the show? Um, four. Four. I, I, was, ah. I was expecting you to say not enough times. Uh. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, let's take a look at the news.
1: Ollie Horn, what's in the news this week?
0: Well, Bobby, you might have heard there's a pandemic going on. Mm. But uh, what specifically happened during this pandemic is people have started being innovative. uh, And also people have found that they can make money by being innovative.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm particularly impressed with how innovative people have been in their pronunciation of innovative.
0: What am I supposed to be saying?
1: (laughs) I don't know. Is that how they they say it over there? Innovative. Rochelle, how do you say that word?
2: Innovative.
1: Oh,
0: come on. Uh, anyway, people have found ways to make money during this pandemic. Uh, not not least uh, all of the buddies of the uh, uh, of the UK cabinet. But that's uh, that's not a topic <laughs> for, for, for this show. But it makes me so cross. Uh, ju- just on that point, by the way, we found out that someone who owned a pub that the current health secretary used to go to got a government contract to supply medical equipment mad. Wow. Anyway, there's less of that crony- cronyism in Japan uh, and more fun things like Ferris wheels as co-working spaces. Uh, so this week we want to talk about how Japan has responded to the pandemic and how it might have spurred on innovation that may not have happened. So Rochelle, since we've last talked, have you noticed that companies have kind of adapted to this situation such that their productivity is back where it was before they had to go remote? Uh, or has this revealed uh, that people were never productive in the first place, as we discussed last week with Tucci?
2: Well, what I've been seeing is is that for different employees react really differently to this whole work from home thing. And for employees who are introverted, it's great. You know, you don't have to talk to other people, don't have to go out. I can just concentrate and be quiet and focus. And so introverts love it. But then the employees who are more naturally extroverts are absolutely miserable and they want to get back to the office as quickly as possible. And they feel a lot of stress when they can't be around other people. So I feel like with my clients, half their employees are happy as clams and half of their employees are miserable.
0: Is there anything to be said for the fact that we may not know the effects of this for years to come? Because I wonder whether some of the things that you do at work, now I say this as someone that has got very limited experience working in an office, but lots of friends that do and tell me about how much they hate it. But a lot of what you have to do at work is not your work, but being seen to be doing your work. And I suppose this isn't just a Japanese thing, it's world over. Yeah. In order to develop your career and you know, making sure that you've got a good relationship with your manager, making sure that you're kind of aware of what the general direction of your company is. And is there something to be said for the fact that All that stuff might be lost during this year and it might take a while for companies to kind of catch up.
2: Oh, I I think that's true. And I think that that's what a lot of companies are feeling that they're missing. I think the biggest challenge is for people who have just joined their firms that they haven't ever gotten to know people in person Mm. and then they have to be relating to them online. That's really hard.
1: But so like some some places are making the best of Zoom. Some places are still struggling with it. Then there are other companies that are just kind of like drastically rethinking their business models. Uh, Rochelle, I know you've been following some news stories about places that were considering kind of pretty radical new business ideas, right?
2: Um, Well, there's the the Ferris wheel co-working space that you mentioned. Um, The one that I really liked was the idea that they're going to be parking some of the Narita Express trains in the yard, and then people can come and go on there and use that as their co-working space.
1: The Narita express trains, they're going to park them?
2: Yeah, they're going to park them in the the rail yard, I think at Ueno.
1: How are you going to commute to the rail yard (laughs) by a different (laughs) express train?
2: (laughs) I mean, you get to the station and somehow you get onto the right track and onto the platform, I suppose.
0: Is this stuff gimmicky stuff, or do you think there is actually something to be said for different public spaces being repurposed, realizing that we can't just stay at home. We have to go, we have to change our scenery. And co-working spaces Mm -hmm. are the worst in a pandemic because that literally is a cluster. Uh, But, you know, there there might be other ways in which we can work uh, remotely, uh, but not necessarily cooped up at home.
2: Well, you know, what seemed to have really taken off is that a lot of hotels are offering their rooms for the day and you can go there and hang out in a hotel room for a day and work.
0: I know some hotels which you can book just by the day.
1: I know some hotels you can book just by the hour. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> okay, we're we're being a bit naughty and a bit cheeky there, Rochelle. Bit a bit a of, bit a of, bit of blue for the uh, for the dad bryans. Uh, <laughs> but, but but I think there is a point to be made, right? That these hotels like they're not being used because there are no right. foreign visitors and people are not travelling around. Right. And you know, it's a it's a big space. But it's mm-hmm. kind of isolated, right? People aren't really mingling if they're in a room. Right, exactly. Single so it's room.
2: safe. And, you know, I think the, the big problem, I think, for Japanese um, in many cases is that they don't have a proper space in their homes for working at home. Mm, a lot of Japanese right. houses are not designed for this. And especially now that kids are home more, you got your kids running around, you're trying to work at the kitchen table your spouse is making a meal in the kitchen, which is only a few feet away, it's very hard to concentrate. And if you have to have Zoom meetings with people, it's, it's really awkward. So I think yeah. for a lot of people, they want some place quiet that they can get away to. So it, it, it's a win-win.
1: There's also that traditional Japanese husband and wife dynamic where the husband is like, well, I have to go out and work and you get to stay home all day. And now that they're also home all day, the wife can see how much work they're actually doing. I think they, they'd they like to have that mystique preserved.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really funny you mentioned this because I remember seeing a, a Reddit thread where this wasn't a Japanese person, but an American saying, "My wife's really angry with me about how little work I do. Like she, <laughs> she 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 sees that my job is like two hours a day of calls, and the rest of the time I'm golfing. And she was under the impression that I work really hard. Now she's seen through. What can I do about it, Rochelle? Do you think it depends on kind of the kind of job that you do uh, as to how much you need these uh, you know private spaces and interesting places to work from?
2: Mm, yeah, I, I think so. I think that um. You know, if, if, you're, if you're doing a job where you really want to be concentrating, you don't want to be in a new place, right? You don't mm. want to be on a Ferris wheel. Or you don't want to be in, like, oh, a hotel. It's distracting. You know, you, you probably just want something that you're familiar with, right? So it yeah. probably works better for some people than others.
1: To have an environment that you're familiar with instead of being somewhere crazy. But I do kind of see all of these new innovations. I saw a story the other day about hotels trying to bring extra customers in by turning their hotel room into a murder mystery experience. And so you'd check into the hotel room and then in the room would be, when you checked in, you'd get your mission, your case to solve. And then in the room would be clues that you'd go through and find. And it was just like, we've reached the point where these, especially these tourism focused businesses, right? Like Ferris wheels, trains, and hotels are so desperate that any proposal that comes across their their desk they're like we'll try it and see
0: and imagine how distracting that would be if there was a mix-up and you go in for a nice quiet day of work you get into your room <laughs> and all of a sudden there's a, a fake dead body <laughs> and an envelope you've got to open it's like come on i've <laughs> i've got a sales report to get done by 10 i do not have time to solve your stupid murder
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> rochelle how much of this do you think is like interesting worthwhile innovation and how much of it do you think is desperation
2: I think there's a lot of desperation there. I think that the Ferris wheel won for sure. was really desperation. Yeah. And yeah. the, the Naito Express cars are kind of close behind on that, right?
1: I remember seeing that as a story and thinking, how would this actually work? How would this work? Because every time a new... You couldn't have everybody show up at exactly the same time. Every, every time somebody came up, you'd have to rotate the Ferris wheel. They'd probably be like... <laughs> the dude at the bottom would be pissed off about like
0: yeah and also presumably the wi-fi only stretches so far so like as it rotates you you go down from three bars to two bars to one bar <laughs> to all the way at the top having to switch to your cell phone <laughs> then then coming back down again it's like can i take a call yes as long as it's within the next 30 seconds obviously these are gimmicks but maybe maybe there is a future whereby we realize it it's absurd that we go to exactly the same place each day to do a job that does not have to be done from there. It's obviously this is a throwback from like the industrial revolution where of course you had to turn up to that factory because that's the only place where you made those things. But now if all you're doing is dicking around on a MacBook Air, then of course you can do that from anywhere. So maybe there's obviously Ferris Wells' mental but something yeah. like, you know, these, like, workations, these, these kind of schemes, which are encouraging people to go for longer periods of time, there's clearly something there, right?
2: Well, I definitely think so. I definitely think so. And, you know, I I, I personally really like the workation idea because I think that that can help Japanese rural areas. I think it can help tourist areas that aren't getting tourists right now. Yeah, I got an interesting um, email from... Um, some group up in Hakuba, which is a ski resort up in Nagano. Mm -hmm. And they were um, trying to encourage people, come spend the month of October in Hakuba. And they were renting out these really lovely ski villas. And they had pictures of all the gorgeous fall scenery. And they talked about the great food that you can have up there. And these are the fun things you can do in the fall. And you can be in your nice ski villa you're obviously not skiing, but you're just enjoying being in a nice place. And why don't you workation here for a month? And I thought, wow, what a great idea. Gee, I'd really like to do that. It sounded great. So I think there's a lot of possibility for different areas to attract people to come hang out for a month or six weeks or something like that.
1: Yeah, and I've also seen a lot of things that I think will survive after things go back to normal. There was a castle in Kyoto that had started renting out rooms as places where you could stay overnight and they were exorbitantly expensive. But when things go back to normal, there is still a market of foreign tourists, of domestic tourists who will pay a crazy price to spend the night in a Japanese castle. And I remember thinking like this is this is an idea that was sparked because they've lost a huge portion of their tourism, but this is something that if things go back to normal, will be lucrative.
0: Rochelle, in your experience of not only teaching online, but also consulting online, have you spotted any things maybe like this castle, which seem like a good idea to be responsive to the pandemic, but actually may have a longer life?
2: I mean, the main thing that I'm thinking of is that a lot of my clients are going to continue to have people work from home, if not full time, at least part of the time. Yeah, I think that, that a lot of my clients are not going to go back to people coming in every single day.
0: And so does that mean that they have to change their management style?
2: Yeah, they're going to have to get change their management style. But I think enough people really like working at home and the companies are realizing that there are enough benefits to it. Because even though a lot of people in Japan have said, oh, I don't think I'm productive, that actually a lot of people are, and a lot of people are happy with it. And a lot of people are liking not having to commute. There are also a lot of people in Japan who are saying that their relationship with their spouse has gotten better because they have more time at home, and they have more meals together, and they talk more. So there's been a lot of good things that have come out. So I I think it's going to be... you're going to see a lot of firms are not going to go back to completely in the office ever.
0: And how are these firms coping with the information asymmetry that might be created? That The people that are outside the office may be two or three steps behind those that are constantly in the office. Can you see there being some kind of, I don't know, two-tiered, discriminatory uh, us versus them mentality
2: going forward? Right. Well, that's one of the things that I've been consulting firms on, because that's something that you have to be very, very careful about. And what I always recommend is that you treat everyone and everything as if everyone were actually outside the office, Mm. even when people are in the office. So if you have an informal communication where a decision is made in the office, in person, that you then write that down and for all the people who weren't actually there. And so that requires a lot of effort to do that carefully. But you're right, if you don't, you get a two-tier system and it doesn't work.
1: I suspect that this might be Rochelle playing 3D chess and trying to create a business culture where there is more remote work, there is less of a need for people to actually be in the office because most of the offices are in Tokyo and if there are less people in Tokyo, that drives down the rent prices. (laughs)
0: Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 61 of Japan by River Cruise. If you're listening to this still in November, then you still have time to stick your email address in at com to receive exclusive bonus bits on our mailing list.
1: And thank you to our guest this week, Rochelle Copp, who maintains her title as our most frequent Japan by River Cruise guest. We are so glad that you're so good at remote work, because even if you go to Tokyo, we will still ask you to be on the show. Oh, great. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next week.